Options activity has altered the investment landscape. Get an edge on this massive flow of funds with Tier 1 Alpha's Market Situation Report brought to you by Hedgeye. A daily newsletter of the latest moves in the options market and a weekly webcast featuring myself, Mike Green of Simplify Asset Management, and Tier 1 Alpha's Craig Peterson and David Pegler. Go to hedgeye.com research for more information. Hi, I'm Hedgeye's founder, Keith McCullough. If you like what you hear, you will love our investing research. We bring transparency, accountability, and actionable investing ideas to investors big and small. I'll put our investing process and team up against anyone in the world. Please visit hedgeye.com to subscribe and learn a better way to invest. All right, good morning. Game 41, where we will have indeed another macro tourist day. That's where Everybody on Old Wall TV and with a Twitter handle will have a view on the PC report without having a model or any experience embedded therein. It's, it's going to be a fascinating day of behavioral exercises, but we know what to do with that. China went big time bullish trend now. Uh, we get a breakout in commodities and everything from gallium, for those of you that know what that is, of course. So we're long copper, we're long FXI, China, Howard's turning a little bit on Yum China. We got some stuff going on here, Alan. Yeah, we do. I'm playing tourist down here in Florida. You know, Keith, I recently made uh, First Watch, a best idea long, which I think is a signal strength name. But anyway, going to be going to brunch at First Watch here shortly. So. Yeah, what yeah they- it, it is the first, it, FWRG is on the signal strength list, and now... Mm-hmm. Everyone on the call can see that signal strength list because we made it a um, a product people could subscribe to as a Monday. This is the difficult part of my job when I have to do due diligence eating out. <laughs> uh, so three three just three comments for me on three different companies reported earnings. First, Red Robin uh, ten million in EBITDA versus estimates of thirteen million. Comps were down two seven. Facts had had them down one and a half, and then guided to. You know, lower than where the street is. The stock's down a little bit here today. I think there's no very little future with this company. It's a best idea short for us, and it, you know, it's not going bankrupt, but it could, you know, it could easily go down thirty or forty percent from here. Uh, two cannabis companies reported last night. Uh, Green Thumb beat the numbers handily and actually executed on a <laughs> fairly decent conference call on in what their future is going to look like. But revenues of two seventy eight versus facts out of two seventy EBITDA ninety one versus essentially $80 million. And the company announced a, a added to their share of purchase program, which I'm not, it's a nice thing that they're doing this. And it's a signal, I guess, that, you know, the company's healthy, but they need capital, right? If they're going to grow in the future um, and M&A and, you know, all the, if they're going to grow into if they're going to grow into more states and they're going to buy other companies, they shouldn't be buying back stock. Like it just doesn't make any sense for me. I, but it's it's fine that they're doing. It. And then Truly, lastly, reported also a, a great quarter: eighty-seven million in EBITDA versus the seventy-one million consensus, and two eighty-seven in revenues versus two eighty-six. They have not had their call yet. That's just me. Um, and it uh, so both the uh, two names on our best idea long list, Green Thumb and Truly, reported decent quarters now. You know, they're low single digit revenue growth quarters. So this is not, you know, an exciting, huge growth story. But fundamentally, uh, if we can get this, the change from schedule one to schedule or rescheduling from schedule one to schedule three, you're going to see a significant improvement in cash flow. And then you can get maybe a little bit more CapEx investment to accelerate revenue growth. But we like both Green Thumb and Truly, and they reported very good quarters here recently. And that's it. Good. And we got the uh, buy signal in the glass house yesterday, which I'm sure you saw. Yep. G-L-A-S-F. You'll see that there's 60 names. That's the highest uh, or the longest list of signal strength longs uh, that I've had since 2021 when we were raging bulls. And can't say I was mooning like I am this morning. Just mooning. No laser eyes. I don't do laser eyes. We will be having uh, the Glasshouse management team on in early April after they report their quarter. We haven't confirmed the date yet, but, uh, but we'll you'll be hearing from the Glasshouse management team in early April. That's cool. You know, the format that McGough, intro- not introduced, but it's just like amplified for tomorrow with Beyond. Um, I think that's a good one that like if you can do stuff like that, you know, obviously there's an exclusivity to that and 
Well, you know, interesting that you mentioned that Cohotus is is long Glasshouse Brands as well. Ooh, there you go. Just an FYI. I tell you, the things the things you hear on the call. All right, and uh, welcome again for the fourth day on Free Access Day to those of you that are new to this, and obviously it's an entirely different experience than uh, watching a comedy for the first three hours of the morning on CNBC. Um, Bielsi, good morning. I don't know if Bielsi's on. On the one day that uh, the Celsius goes moon, <laughs> I'm just going to start talking like these yo-yos, if, if that's okay with you, Jenks. They're mostly your age. He was on earlier. I don't know what happened to him. I saw him on earlier. He must have. There he is. He's back. I, you know, it's just like, Bielsi, you don't have many exciting stocks. I mean, for for the love of God, I had to squeeze 3% for the home team out of Clorox. But, you know, Celsius is exciting. And you're on mute, so I, I think we're just going to pass on Bielsi today if he's not figuring it out. I don't know what he's doing. Can you hear me now? I'm sorry. Um, very sorry. What are you doing? Like, have a Celsius, dude. Wake up. Come on. It's, it's not me. <laughs> it's, it's all it's all technical. I'm sorry. So, Celsius, uh, a lot of earnings. I'll try to be really quick. Sorry about that. Uh, Celsius beat by a penny. Stock's down 2%. Uh, I mean, it, this, there's just a high expectations thing for this, but um, the results itself were very good in the call. Is all that really matters in terms of like, can they screw something up or say something that has lower numbers? But the numbers are just amazing. Revenue up 95%. That's way above the scanner data, right? So that means the off-track channel is better than the track channel, which means it's positive surprise, which is, and it was 97% growth in North America, 68 international, Amazon, great. Uh, maybe the one sort of standout item to mention is like, they were the number one share gainer in the U.S. retail channel uh this year in 2023 so that, that gives you an idea of how big of a you know phenomenon it was it was you know across the store it was the number one share gainer so um you know i, I i'm a buyer it's just uh, an whole expectations thing you sell into the the news right for something like this um mo- moving on in energy just one spot lower on, on the position monitor is monster nothing really add there what we have here is they're they're committed to raising price this was a company that wouldn't flex their pricing muscle during the inflationary surge. And they're sort of late to the game because they never had to raise prices before. And they did. And they're committed to doing it. They're passing on prices in, uh, further internationally, uh, even more aggressively. Red Bull has already raised prices. So that gives you the visibility. That's fine. The, the, the share gains, yes, they're losing share to Celsius, but both can win at the same time because it's just a big uh, margin catch up for Monster right now. Um, those shares are up uh, free market. And then I have I have others, but maybe the one I'll call out lastly is Synopta STKL. So they reported a three cent beat of five cents. Revenue grew thirteen point seven percent for them, with volume mix of fourteen point seven and price down. So how many companies in my universe? I, I don't know. Just less less than one hand have volume growth uh, and volume growth in double digits. So management estimated that plant based milk market, including the, both the track and track untracked channel grew by mid-single digits in the quarter. So Synopta growing three times faster than the market, which itself is up, which people don't have that visibility because all they get is this um, track channel. But for Synopta, that's 80% of their business is untracked. So that's the one thing that's holding the stock back is that you see the scanner data where plant-based milk is a little bit weaker. But 80% of their sales are, are essentially like Starbucks and the rest of the independent coffee, coffee chain. And they're doing fine. And, and they're growing mid-single digits, even more than mid-single digits. So uh, everything else was on on track, and you know they have the new CEO, and I still think shares can double from here. So that's the, maybe the one uh, I'd say is actionable. But of course, Celsius Monster are ones I, I want to buy because they're on the top of my list. Uh, sorry about the uh, technical difficulties. That's okay. It's going to be okay. All right, Jenkins. Hey, good morning, Keith. Sorry, I was. Uh... Laughing about the Celsius comment. Uh, wanted to talk about sports betting today and uh, as it relates to DraftKings, which continues to be a best idea along. I figured I haven't talked about it enough this week. So um, got some got some more data uh, on the uh, on the sports betting side to start the year. Um, we all, obviously January is already in the books and we're focused on February. However, there's certain states that provide pretty good insight as to what's going on market dynamics wise uh, across the industry. And I want to focus on uh, because this is often a topic because when you have a good revenue month, 
people say, well, the sports books held uh, above average and it wasn't consumer friendly. So then that's going to create a slowdown in what people actually bet uh, the following month. So we saw that in uh, we saw the inverse of that, or at least we were calling for the inverse of that in November when the operators had uh, uh, had a really tough month last November where uh, they held really low and then it actually drove accelerating handle growth in December. Well, people then the narrative was, well, January is going to pull back because uh, uh, December, the books actually, you know, whole percentage normalized. However, that's actually not what we saw. We saw a continuation of that trend. And really, if we look back over the last couple of quarters, you had the second quarter in terms of handle growth, which is what people are actually betting. So true volume, not necessarily the price component of how uh, these guys get paid. That accelerated to plus 15 percent. Then you went to plus 25 and then you had plus 26. And then now here in January, you're 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 continuing on with the similar clip, actually just north of 26 percent growth. And really what's interesting is if I look at the next couple months here and really next couple quarters, you know, you still really have easy comps until you kind of get into that October period and we start to lap uh, uh, ESPN bets launch. And what's interesting now is you have promos coming down, the whole percentage normalizing, um, you know, creating a very, very uh, good environment for the operators, in particular DraftKings and FanDuel, which are top of the market, uh, to drive accelerating net revenue growth, which was not in people's expectations even just a few weeks ago before the company uh, spoke. I think it's more more in people's expectations now that the that Q1 is going to be good. I think Q1 is actually tracking to be a lot better than what they even guided to. So they gave themselves, again, a nice little bit of cushion, you know, barring any major, you know, crazy outcomes during March Madness, which can happen at times. Uh, you know, I think the quarter is going to be a really solid one and they'll be, you know, have an opportunity to raise guidance. Uh, so that's that on the on the data side. And then uh, legislatively, there there looks to be some traction in the South. So it looks like Georgia is, um, it's not a done deal, but looks like it's moving towards them having uh, a sports betting referendum on the, on the ballot uh, here, here this upcoming November. And so I, I think it's interesting because Georgia's gone from the expectation was more of it's a 2026 and beyond type legalization story. Whereas now, um, you know, it's probably a little bit better than 50% chance that we get it on the ballot. If you get it on the ballot, for the for the most part, because there's no major tribal component to gaming in, in the state of Georgia like there was in California, or if you recall a couple of years ago uh, when they tried to push sports betting through, um, I think it has we'll have a pretty good chance if it makes it there. And really what that does is it just pulls forward another big state, another big market, uh, temporary EBITDA headwind, but massive revenue growth driver uh, for all these guys. And then you get the EBITDA on the backside. Obviously, you'd love all these states to uh, to legalize sooner rather than later, if you just think about kind of, you know, discounted cash flow of all all, all these future states in the future, uh, EBITDA and cash that they're going to generate for for the operators. But, um, you know, the data trends are solid. And I think you got some good movement on the uh, on the legalization front as well, which uh, all good things. So DraftKings continues to be our best idea long, you know, upside into into the mid 50s, I think, over over really the next six months is sort of where I think it. And that's it. Uh, that's probably the most actionable. Not probably. Definitely is the most actionable for most students. And from a signal perspective, it's still win. You know, DraftKings was popping yesterday. We get win from the low end of the risk range. When it hits real-time alerts, it means it's very close to the low end of the range because that's where I have to seek perfection. Believe me, if you saw, you've seen how many people over the course of the product's lifespan that have signed up for real-time alerts and don't understand it, um, well, they understand it if you're if you bat a hundred percent, but so that that's the point. Um, anyway, I'm just trying, just trying to communicate. Buy the damn All dips. You can do. All Buy you the can damn do. dips in the sixty signal strength stocks on your list, which include LVS, Win, DraftKings. Those would be top three signal strengths right now. Uh, notice the two China factor exposures, and we're along of China FXI and Portfolio Solutions. I slipped that past the goalie yesterday. Oh, yes, I did on red. All right. Uh, McGough, you got any China factor exposure for me? Not this morning, but I can I can conjure some up for you. Because China's just like, a, whether whether you know it or not, I mean, you figured it out over the last two years, but you talk about bag holding. I mean, bag holding has been China. China has been awful. Um, Felix has some new names here this morning, or at least one. Um, but that's okay if you don't have China. No, well, I 
I got the, the biggest one in China is probably Nike. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm long that, but I'll tell you, I'm wavering on it um, for a couple of reasons. But um, look, I, I got a ton of earnings this this morning and uh, me and Jeremy are going to tag team them. We're not going to hit on all of them. We can't. We don't have enough real estate here. But one I want to hit on, I want to start off on a small cap name, which does not have China exposure, um, is Figs, F-I-G-S. This is the company, if you don't know Figs, uh, it has been dubbed the Lululemon for medical apparel. Um, and I give this company credit. It's innovated a category that hasn't been innovated in like 100 years, but it's attracting a ton of competition. And this company came out to its credit. It beat the quarter by three pennies, but guided down 2024 by a shit ton. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to quantify it. I'll just say a shit ton. You can use your imagination. And they fired their CFO. So uh, backtrack about, you know, two to three months ago, I recall having a conversation with this company. Um, I don't talk with a lot of management teams. It's not a part of my process. I do my own research. Um, but this this one, they really wanted to talk with me. So I entertained the conversation and I told them, I said, look, your stock's worth three bucks and your expectations are too high next year. The crap that they gave me on that Zoom call was like, I wish I could have recorded it. Um, and now, lo and behold, they come out th three months later. They lower expectations by a lot um, to, you know, squarely down top line and operating profit for 2024. And they fire the person who's in charge of forecast accuracy, which is their CFO. <laughs> So this stock is uh, trading down about 20% right now. This is the best idea short. Um, I said it was worth three bucks. Uh, I still think it's worth three bucks. It's trading at $5 right now. So I would still be short it. Um, I would own this at a price. I go both ways. Uh, but that price wouldn't be until it's a bone, uh, like a, a, a two, maybe $3 stock. Um, if the rate of change is accelerating, which I'm not anticipating as we're headed into quad two later this year. So that is figs enough on that one, small cap name. The other one I want to mention before I hand it over to McLean is Birkenstock, B-I-R-K. This is a name. It's uh, a best idea short. Um, it, it's, it's at the bottom of our best idea short list. Um, the company hit the quarter. Um, it should have blown away the quarter. I mean, you couldn't keep Birkenstocks in stock if if you're a retailer this past holiday. And that's the quarter the company just reported. It didn't change guidance, but it said we're now even more confident that we're going to hit our guidance for 2024. Like, explain that one. Like, so you weren't confident when you issued that guidance a couple of months ago? <laughs> now you're more confident? Like, I I just don't understand. Maybe it's like a language barrier thing. This is a German company, but it is what it is. Um, I, I I am waiting to make this, to, to bring this higher on our best idea shortlist. I think the playbook is going to be that because the wholesalers sold out of their Birkenstocks in the uh, holiday season. Like these guys buy in hindsight, they buy what already worked, not what's going to work. Um, so the spring orders probably look pretty good, which is why they're, they're quote unquote, more confident in their 2024 numbers. Um, so I think uh, pod one is going to slow in the back half of this year. Um, in, interestingly enough, that would be pod one slowing for a retailer consumer company when we're in quad one, quad two, uh, which would be a very bad look. Um, so I suspect the stock will not handle that well, but I do think we have to de-risk a couple of quarters here. Uh, so I'm going to be patient on the Burke, B-I-R-K, best idea short, likely get heavier on it later this year. Uh, and with that, let me hand it over to McLean. He's going to speed date through a couple of earnings like Best Buy, Akushnet, a couple of other juicy ones. Jeremy, you're on mute. Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. 
Hope you're enjoying our podcast. Start generating alpha with our suite of Sector Pro investing research products. Dive deep into retail, industrials, technology, and everything in between with exclusive access to the sharpest analysts and actionable ideas on Wall Street. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Keith had anything else you want to say there, but uh, I, I can go. Um, so I just I wanted to flag one thing on on IPAR yesterday. Just with Brian talking about guidance, I thought was very funny that the company right put out their guidance and the stock was trading down, and then they came out like during the call or something and said guidance will probably go higher, you know, because like, they got it a number. The stock was down, and now they're saying. Oh, but we'll probably take up guidance during the year. It's like, well, you had your chance to guide. You don't you pick pick your guidance, right? Um, anyway, the uh, the few things I want to hit on are F and D, uh, Best Buy, and a Kushnet. Um, first one, F and D. Just you know, the the company had a bunch of insider sales uh, hit the tape, right? If your business has crashed and the market just wants to put sixty times earnings on your stock, and you probably sell some after reporting and guiding down the numbers. So F&D seeing several insider sales, including the CFO. It's a younger guy around my age, sold uh, something like $300,000 worth of stock. So good for him. Um, next one, Best Buy reported this morning. It's the best idea short. Uh, the headline was an EPS beat, uh, revenue a little bit ahead. You know, Best Buy does do a good job of managing the upcoming quarter expectations. So not, not surprising to see that, that headline, but a uh, slight rate of change improvement. So comps went from negative seven to negative five. Um, they're guiding, you know, the midpoints here are below the, the consensus um, on EPS and comps. So EPS is basically midpoint of about six bucks. The street was at, call it 620. Um, comps are to be down, call it low single digits. The street was at flat. Um, so you'll have to see what the commentary here is here around margins. Um, that'll be kind of interesting to say what, what they think that look is for credit, right? The company's trying to offset some of these tail margin risks from, uh, you know, lower attachment rates of, of credit and extended warranties using uh, a membership program to kind of build that into an annual fee instead of on a per transaction basis. So, um, you know, we're not sure that's going to work over the long term, but I think the, the bigger point is there's there's risk here in 2024 around the credit side, um, you know, with rising bad debt costs, um, you know, as these rising delinquency rates get charged off. And uh, they also have a lot of risk, right? If there's any change in late fee regulation, which is, you know, there's sort of rising uh, probability of that something happening there um, here in 2024, uh, as that's part of the profit flow of their their credit portfolio. So we still think there's a lot of margin risk in the categories remain under the pressure for Best Buy, though the rate of change is getting a, a little less bad here um, on uh, on BBY. And then a Kushnet, uh, you know, this is the best idea short that that's been going against us. They've been putting up, you know, good numbers um, and the valuation framework going higher uh, alongside the, the good number performance. Uh, this quarter was not good. So it's a, it's a lower volume quarter, but it was a headline miss on, on net income and revenue. So revenue slowed from plus 6% to minus uh, 8% this quarter. Uh, adjusted EBITDA for the year was guided ahead. Revenue was guided ahead, which as I, we, just, we just can't get to that given what we're seeing uh, in the space, right? Well, one of the things we just had Callaway put up uh, like flat, revenue growth and like negative 20% profit growth in its whole, um, its whole equipment business. And uh, here Kushnets, you know, put up positive and guiding to positive again, in terms of EBIT dollars. So, uh, you know, we're looking at rising inventories, the sort of competitive intensity increasing because we had, you know, very tight supply for a few years while demand was high. And, and now there's plenty of, uh, plenty of product on the shelves and plenty of options and, and a return of promotional cadence. Um, and the product launch cadence here for Kushnet is just not as good as it was last year. They're, they're, they're launching a new iron line, which, you know, something golfers tend to turn over with a lot less frequency. And they've just, uh, a lot of those golfers have just replenished their, their irons, which, uh, are long lived assets. And they're, they launched a new line of pro V's last year <clears throat> in the spring. So they're, they're lapping against that. So you know, everyone kind of replenishes their inventory when the new pro V line comes out and, 
we're unlikely to see that this year. So uh, we'll keep an eye on it. You know, all the data are saying is suggests that things are getting worse in terms of like visits to golf stores and, uh, and general sort of demand drivers. But here the, the company seems to think they're going to, um, you know, beat the expectations of growth and profits. Um, we, we, we can't get there, at least not yet. We'll keep an, a close eye on that one in the coming months. Um, and th- that's all I got, Keith. All right. Do me a favor. I'm in the market to buy some, uh, some new irons. So if you see some, uh, somebody under pressure, I'm a buyer, uh, but I don't have to. I'll, right. flag, I'll flag any good discounts I see. All right. Thank you. All right. Here we go, Tom. Having a good week, Tom Tobin. Yeah. I feel a little bit like, uh, actually, never mind. That's a bad reference. But yeah, no, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'll be in the studio at one uh, talking about a bunch of the stuff that we've, sort of had through this week life stance in particular um eye had a good quarter on the comp side but the data tracking uh on same source sales you know continues to slow and there's one cost item i think you know in terms of an overlay that looks really interesting so we'll talk about that and then uhs you know it's, it's almost like it gets a little boring um in terms of how the thesis can change and continue to you know ramp higher and there's not really much going on other that other hasn't already happened and so really you've got sort of an availability of labor um that even these guys are succeeding and uh, the behavior health side and you continues to grow in the in the inpatient uh, piece it's all sort of resolving you know after three or four years of uh problems you know now you got three or four years ahead of of upside and it's always underestimated on the incremental margin um so that's that's what's happening now and then um, progeny was something that you and I exchanged emails about over the last couple of weeks. They had a bad utilization quarter, something I'll, I'll talk about. I'll put up the chart anyway. We have a decent tracker for providers. Um, so how many people are in their network? That number actually ticked down pretty significantly to start the year. And I was like, huh, that looks a little weird. Um, quad factor scores very strong. Your levels were, were positive. You know, obviously they had this little fundamental hiccup. We'll see what happens with the stock here. I think it probably... Uh, stabilizes to improve. They're they're talking about uh, buying back shares, which actually is kind of a, a red flag in my view uh, that they're going to do some share repurchase here uh, at this stage of their life cycle. And then the last one big piece of news, um, tenant. You know, this should just be bought on the open. I think is you know, it's not. It's been on my bench for a while, but they're doing this deal with Adventist. Um, uh, Selling a couple of hospitals, but the bigger deal is that they've got this Conifer Health uh, revenue cycle management business inside of um, Adventist. That was a huge system. And it's just a, a big positive for a, probably a stub of a business for them, something that's been problematic for a long time uh, that they've been turning around and, and managing to to work, uh, managing to get to work. Now that they have this, they signed this big contract, right? That's a that's a game changer for them in the context, particularly, you know, the outpatient business doing well, the inpatient business doing well, like Conifer is sort of the last shoe to drop. So this thing is going to be up, I think, you know, significantly. I'll, I'll definitely, this next focus idea, you and I have already exchanged emails about this. So that's what's up. But one o'clock, I'll cover a lot of this stuff and sort of start detailing more of this. Um, as one of my, one of my sales guys said yesterday, a suitcase, you know, suitcase of data, trying to distill it down and, and sort of share out what's what's going on. But that's it. I mean, you saw that I hit the button in real-time alerts on tenant, right? Yeah, well, no, I mean, there's you and then there's me, right? Like I got to get, <laughs> I got to get the, uh, I got to get that across the line as well. It's just a little bit, a little bit more than hitting a button, but that's, uh, that's my next, my next step. Do a deck, get this worked out. I have most of it done already. Just uh, to, to, to timing. I mean, does this put, um, THC is tenant, by the way, and uh, HCA uh, is the other long on the signal strength list. I I wasn't indifferent. I mean, THC was closer to the low end of the range, so that's why I hit the button on that. But is there really a difference to you? Fundamentally? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, they're all they're all they're all the same, and then different in, in critical ways. So with UHS, you have a massive behavioral health business, so inpatient psychiatric, uh, outpatient step down therapy uh, therapists in general. Um, so the, yep. they have a very small acute care business, you know, reasonably good markets, 
obviously they have management differences. HCA is the mothership of acute care. It's the largest hospital system in the country. They also have a huge outpatient care business, but it's mostly physician. They have uh, care now, which is a, uh, you know, like a, a urgent care type footprint and strip malls all over the place. And then tenant, which for a long time was thought about as just ambulatory surgical centers. And the thesis had been, hey, we're going to get rid of all these terrible uh, acute care businesses. Like, we're going to sell all the hospitals and we're just going to be uh, outpatient or skinny down at acute care. So it's mostly ambulatory surgical centers. They bought uh, USPI uh, years ago and they've just been leveraging and expanding the, the ASC part of their footprint. Um, so that's you know, different flavors of the same thing, but it's it's they're all super highly correlated. Uh, you can basically do an overlay of uh, same store adjusted emissions between HCA and tenant and the footprint matters, right? Texas, Florida, uh, where your exposures are is you know, kind of more critical than what the mix is. Did you mute yourself, Keith? Uh, yeah, just getting in the car. That's all I've got today at one, though, if you want to learn more. Cool. All right, Emily. Uh, well, if you want China, uh, China factor exposure, we know we sort of talked about this yesterday, and I have a chart out this morning relative to uh, XBI versus NIH funding. Uh, one of the Biosecure Act, which took, took aim at a few... Um, uh, Chinese company, um, one in particular, Weishi Abtech, uh, it, you know, has caused a lot of consternation within the academic research community, where a lot of the biotech, re the early stage biotech research uh, gets done before it gets commercialized. Um, and one of the issues there, the, one of the concerns is that federal government will cut off supply of some of the raw materials for research, like animals, uh, and and a lot of that is sourced out of out of China. If you cut off that supply, whether that's through by targeting one company, uh, as the Biosecure Act does, uh, you raise the costs of 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 research. In addition to the obvious increase in cost of capital that we've been talking about for. Uh, a couple of years now, so that is an area where we haven't we haven't seen the impact yet. But uh, one of the things that experience tells us is that when the government starts making noise, uh, particularly at a geopolitical level, about your supply chain, what do you do? You you move it, and that is why uh, Mexico now uh, has surpassed China as a trading partner with the with the U.S. Um, so that's a little chart out this morning if you want to take a look at that. And then lastly, I want to just mention, expand on my comments yesterday about the antitrust lawsuit, um, the potential antitrust investigation, I'm sorry, into United Health Group. Uh, one, and because I've gotten a couple of questions on it, one of the areas that I've been interested in and has raised the alarms in on the Senate side is <clears throat> the way in which um, United Health Group has vertically integrated and done it in response to the Affordable Care Act's mandatory minimum loss ratios. In other words, you have to you have to hand out this amount of benefits um, in order to avoid sending money back to your members uh, via rebates, and and that has contributed <laughs> fairly dramatically to increase in. Uh, the services inflation, and that's you know visible. Uh, all you have to do is is look at a chart. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has asked questions about this. The FTC apparently is is also asking questions, and and that would be a a area which I would pay attention to um, as as we go forward to see if there's any impact of the investigation on UNH's operations. And that's it. Hi, Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Agile. Join our entire research analyst team live before the market opens for a deep dive investing analysis, our favorite stock ideas, and our risk manager in chief, Keith McCullough's macro overlay. Our team of 40 plus equity analysts discuss key market developments, trends, 
and our high conviction, long and short investing ideas. You will not get this granular level of insight anywhere else. A video replay, audio version, and analyst summary notes from the call are available shortly after each live show to ensure you don't miss anything. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe and tune in live to the call weekdays at 7.45 a.m. Eastern. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Hey, insurance companies are making money hand over fist here. Buffett can't even hide it. Um, it's uh, it's what's going on. You know, JT said yesterday, like, you know, on this topic of what, you know, what does this 1.7 going on $2 trillion deficit going on $2.5 trillion deficit and $35 trillion in debt mean? I mean, the answer is inflation. And JT said yeah. you go up to somebody in the, go up to your, you know, your congressman or your senator in a grocery store and you confront them on that. I mean, if, if you start talking about insurance costs, I mean, it, people go nuts. I mean, that's one of the things that, well, first of all, we're long it. So, you know, like on the call, you're going to learn for those of you that are new this week. It's like, I'm not bitching and moaning about inflation. I'm just telling you the truth about inflation. And then I buy inflation. So I own insurance, right? We own IAK, KBWP. Uh, those are, you know, two big macro exposures that we've had for a while. Um, so you just own it. You know, that, that's the point. People with money can own the inflation. The people that have no money have to eat it. And that's that's the political problem. So both parties you know, seemingly are OK with that because they'll just lie about it. But anyway, it's been a big topic, medical uh, insurance inflation. All right. Uh, Steiner, you, you know that one, right? I mean, that one's whipped around. I mean, in the model quite a bit. I mean. It's not a, it's not a trivial matter either. I mean, people you know, definitely freak out on Twitter about that one. Yeah, the insurance uh, costs both, you know, property casualty on the homeowners and and auto side um, have been, you know, just blasting off. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. Um, the rates are just, you know, and particularly in in certain geographies, certain um, areas, it's becoming, it's sort of on a path toward, you know. A real crisis because in a lot of areas some whole states it's getting you know very difficult you know if you look at like louisiana um it's extremely difficult there to get homeowners insurance and i think a lot of states are going to end up having to go down the road that uh, florida went down uh, a while ago which is basically creating a state-run fund because i don't see how they're going to keep and and a lot of this isn't just you know, the big insurers, right, they suffer because they can't acquire reinsurance because the reinsurance market is extremely tightened. So, you know, the whole thing is sort of structurally uh, impaired. Um, but yeah, it basically leads to one conclusion, which is that insurance costs obviously are extremely inflationary and that's unlikely to change much uh, in the outlook. And I would add one other, uh, from my vantage point, a uh, good way to participate in, uh, I guess, an inflation-hedged uh, approach uh, would be the the big payment networks, uh, MasterCard and Visa. Those companies yep. are inherently um, buffering against inflation. So uh, keep that in mind. And, and then, yeah, outside of that, I'm going to uh, cede my airtime this morning. We just have our call at 1230 today on the consumer credit outlook. It uh, should be a really good deck, good presentation. So check that out. But uh, otherwise, today I'm good. Can you come back to me on uh, PCE after? Is it come out at 830 or no? Yeah, it's 830. Yeah, I'll, um, yeah, I mean, we can certainly hit on the inflation side. We'll maybe be able to get, uh, the, the, we're also interested, right, in um, what the January actual personal consumption expenditures on a real yeah. year-for-year basis were, right? So December was 32 Obviously, given the comp dynamic and the weather dynamic for January, uh, I would certainly be taking the under, i.e. quad four for Jan. Um, but we'll see what we get here in 10 minutes. I mean, the, the economic data, we nailed the economic data being quad four in January. I mean, it's brutal. Uh, that durable goods report was downright recessionary. I mean, so the CapEx, all that stuff. I mean, what the market's trying to tell tell you everyone, and that's the whole point about the signal, is that that's the bottom, right? I mean, Germany this morning, horrible economic data, and the stock market went vertical on it. I mean, it's it's because the market's trying to, to trying to price in that the ECB is going to 
do rate cuts during an, uh, a reacceleration in the economy, which is like really bullish if, if and when that happens and really inflationary. But, you know, German retail sales, I think we're down down year over year, like one almost 1.4% or something, unemployment up towards six. Um, that's what the bottom of a recession looks like. So, you know, if you're new this week to us and it's free and we get it, um, you know, people can run around and say, oh, you know, these guys, all these fur are these, everyone had a recession wrong. That's bullshit. I mean, there, there, there's been an industrial recession in the country you're in. If you're listening from the U S you know, a significant per- percentage of people watching the call, by the way, aren't in the U S um, there's been a recession in China, Germany, Europe, et cetera. I mean, Canada, good, you know, good day to my homeland, obviously. So, so the, the recession, you know, happened. It just didn't broaden into the U S headline GDP numbers. Cause we decided to borrow, you know, against our, our kids' future on government spending to, to avoid it. But uh, I digress. All right, we'll come back to you. Uh, Simone, you on today? Hey, Keith. Yeah, I, I got to make it quick because I got to run to uh, to meetings in Chicago. But um, NSA, which we have on the uh, on the long, <clears throat> active long list, <laughs> reported last night, it's it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, it's, it's a little confusing in the sense that they're they're doing some things that, should be perceived as positive um but then like at the same time they're they're guiding to their same store on a y being down pretty aggressively and um in 24 call it like the you know mid single digit range uh versus the rest of the space that's maybe down zero to one um but then at the same time they're they're like they're recycling capital and you know, buying back, well, they're, they're paying down some debt. They paid down the revolver and, and leverage high leverage has always been kind of like not a concern, but a consideration here. And at the same time, they're buying back stock. I, uh, I actually don't think they should be doing that. Um, it, it kind of like doesn't, well, let, let me, let me rephrase that. If, if you're going to buy back 5% of your market cap, uh, per year, I, I guess what I would what I would posit is like a better use of that capital would be to reduce your leverage below seven to seven and a half times EBITDA, which sounds high to like everyone. It, it, it's high in the REIT world too, but you know we're, we're talking about like somewhere like an appropriate range, probably somewhere in like the four to five range. And so I, I guess what I would question here is like a capital allocation strategy that that doesn't necessarily make sense and if you're going to like it just just put the company up for sale like why why back buy back 5% of your market cap if you're like indeed 30 to 35% below your nav and you believe that number take preserve that capital take down leverage and sell yourself it it's just it's like a weird kind of mix of things and at the same time they're their same stores declining a little bit more aggressively than like I would have thought yet like you know, it's it seems like the stocks are acting positively to the news, so it, it's it's noisy. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to pick through it. And then, um, last point before I got to hop uh, on the UNH investigation, that's actually um, pretty pretty meaningful in my space relative to medical properties trusts. So, one of the ways these guys are trying to convince the world that they're going to earn a re- uh, recovery on their disastrous, epically horrible, failed um, you know investments in Prospect and Steward that should you know be viewed as one of the uh, the worst allocations of the capital of all time. Uh, they're they're trying to have these companies sell their, their managed care businesses, which are really physician practices. And one of the things that's part like included in that investigation is um, invested like basically like an overview or looking into of Optum, which is the, uh, the physician co or like physician practices business within UNH from like antitrust and a bun- bunch of other concerns to my understanding. And if if that's true, you're taking like one of the biggest buyers out of the market who would bid for that stuff. And, and that's really bad if that's the case for um, for prospect and steward specifically. So just, just kind of like an overlap where one hand kind of speaks to the other. Just wanted to, to point that out for folks. And that's all for me. A great spot to reload on the short side on MPW now that we've had the squeeze baskets, high short interest baskets that they've been up you know, for a week and, and they typically, you know, stop going up abruptly. So let's um, stay focused on that one. Any, anywhere North of four bucks a share, lay it out there. All right. Um, thank you. Uh, Jay's, Jay Van Skyver who does industrials for us is still in London. I don't tell, but did you guys have anything or are you, you good? Hi, I'm Keith McCullough and I wanted to introduce you to my favorite product at Hedgeye, 
The Macro Show. Why is it my favorite product? Well, it's my show. I do that every morning. If you want to get ready for the market day, you want to contextualize all the data, you want to make good decisions, then this is what you should be watching. It's a repeatable process that you can deliberately study, measuring and mapping time series to time series of data. So it's not going headline to headline and getting whipped around. It's actually being so much more dispassionate about it and making good decisions that are data-driven. So we'd love to have you on our team. Come join us. Tune in weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern and on demand anytime. Go to hedgeye.com slash research to subscribe. Yeah, hey, Keith. Um, just want to flag that we have our ag call tomorrow at uh, 2 p.m. And then we also have plug earnings uh, uh, after the close today. And that's it. Yeah, plug power. There's another, I mean, all these, you know, I, I call them the top, uh, top shelf, top quality shorts, meaning that they've just been phenomenal shorts, like stocks that have gone down 60 to 90% that we've been right on would include names like plug power and MPW. Um, They're all, you know, they all bounce, right? So you get, when you get a short like that, like when you get like a, you know, a career type grand slam short, you know, they, they always bounce. The question is, do you have a process to cover some when they're at the low end of the range and reload when they get squeezed to the top end of the range. And the answer is yes, we do. Okay. So um, it's critical. I mean, you gotta, you gotta do that. I mean, a lot of hedge funds don't, uh, they short low, they press their shorts. They're like, Oh, here it is. Here it is. And then they get squeezed. And then, and then voila, they give you another short selling opportunity. So that's how, that's how we play the game. I'll always have learned it as a practitioner many, many moons ago by screwing that exercise up more ways than anybody else could possibly do it publicly as you can see in all those timestamps that I have across all the years. All right. Um, apologies. I'm coming out of this cold or flu thing or whatever it is. My voice is like, ah. um, what do we got? We got a uh, Friedman or Zegris. Yep. I'm on Keith. Um, so a couple things this morning, uh, we had AMC uh, out last night, the movie theater <laughs> Um, with earnings adjusted EBITDA was 42.5 million, uh, but free cash flows. What matters here was negative 149.9 million. So that brought oh. the entire, yeah, just a dog. So that brought the full year burn uh, to 441 million. Uh, in terms of the, their liquidity position, uh, they finished the year with 911 million in cash on the balance sheet, but that's only because they raised 832 million in capital throughout the year uh, through their ATM equity issuance. And dilution from all that uh, equity raise was a big reason why the stock was down 84% last year. Um, so <laughs> looking ahead, um, <clears throat> you know, we had the negative impacts from the from the writer's strike uh, and the continued weak content slate impacting box office domestically year to date, which is tracking down 35% uh, versus the pre-pandemic or 2019 levels. Adam Aaron, AMC's CEO, <clears throat> said, excuse me, said that looking ahead to 2024, they will not hesitate to reduce debt, extend debt maturities and bring in more um, and and bring in more cash to the reserve uh, as opportunities arise, which is uh, code for raise more equity capital and dilute shareholders further. So uh, diluted share count um, at the end of 2023 was 218.6 million, which was 10.5 times higher than it was in the fourth quarter of 19. Meanwhile, EBITDA is down 45% in 2023, and 2024 is likely to be worse than last year. They still have $4.6 billion in debt, which is more uh, than what I think the equity is worth. Um, and they still somehow have 1.3 billion in market cap uh, left on this stock. So we're still sticking with the short on this one. Um, you know, this ends in two ways, per, you know, uh, perpetual dilution of equity holders um, or bankruptcy. Um, so either way, it's a should be a win uh, on the continue to work on the short side. Um, I'll leave that one at that. I do have something on software, Keith, um, to hit on. But if you have any questions, I can answer them. No, just another great example. Like I said, plug power, MPW, AMC. I mean, you could go on and on and on. Um, we're playing at such a higher, higher level. Our analysts are than the monkeys you're watching on TV, right? I mean, if anything, they're long AMC and GameStop still. Uh, or that's that's what a retail investor would have done 
you know, Freebird, as as you well know, I mean, retail investors are, you know, they, they chase, right? Like so, and they bag hold. So they might have bought it, like, and, and then all of a sudden they they just sit there and they wait for it to come back. And AMC just never came back. <laughs> so and it's and it's and it's uh well, I guess never say never, but I would say the probabilities certainly don't. <laughs> The probabilities certainly don't favor it ever coming back. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and then on uh, software, uh, <laughs> you know, the main event last night uh, was Snowflake um, ticker. Oh SNO, yeah, you talk, yeah, SNOW. You talk, you talk about like like CNBC bag holders, right? Like yeah. like Drawdown, Josh Brown, like all these guys. Like Cass and I were back and forth on it on Twitter today. It's like really. Like, this is a great example, right? Because they had this really brilliant CEO who's in the business, clearly founder of selling you stock, you bobos. Um, you know, and, and everyone's fascinated with it. They don't know shit. Drawdown Josh Brown doesn't know shit about modeling companies, obviously, never mind, like, what software is what. I mean, but it's a ticker and it's snow and it's like, you. this thing, if you look at the retail, high retail, it's called the high retail sediment baskets, Um, you know, most widely owned names. Uh, by the retail investor, this one's in it. Uh, this is a high-profile stock still in terms of people really getting pounded. Yeah, well, I, uh, so just to be clear, you know, we don't have a call on this one directionally at the moment. We are <laughs> doing work on it along with many others. Um, but uh, just to kind of comment on the quarter itself and just what happened. So the quarter was actually fine. Uh, revenue and operating income both actually came in ahead of consensus. Uh, the big problem here was really on the guide. So they guided product revenue growth of 22%, which was below the consensus expectation for just over 30%. And the buy side was actually a touch above that. So huge miss. Um, and what makes it even worse <laughs> is that Q1 pro they guided Q1 product revenue growth to 26 to 27%. So they guided Q1 to 26 to 27%, but they guided the full year to 22%. So what does that mean? Oh, that means what? Yeah, that means that the back half of the year where you have more difficult comps, that revenue growth implied in that drops below 20%, which um for a stock that's trading at 21 times <laughs> EBITDA sales and 178 times EBITDA is kind of a problem. And then you like you mentioned Keith Frank Slootman, who's like a very well known software uh, CEO. He was the CEO of ServiceNow, which we are short um, before going to Snow. Uh, be then he went to Snowflake. Um, also left, so he just like totally just pulled the ripcord on uh, investors. Um, and this is a cloud consumption story that was supposed to be a key beneficiary of AI. Now, to be fair, their guidance doesn't contemplate any revenue from new AI product launches later this year. So that could be a source of upside, right? To the extent they've reset numbers lower, they launch these products and they monetize them. But it's still really not a good look as it relates to kind of the core business here. And a key point of ours, what we talked about with ServiceNow, is we think that we're probably entering, uh, potentially entering the trough of disillusionment with a lot of these AI products, because while there's a lot of great uh, stories and theoretical use cases, um, there's still a lot of uh, you know factors to be determined where these AI products are still in a um, uh, proof of concept phase for a lot of companies before. And not, it's not that everyone's going out, even though ServiceNow CEO would like to tell you otherwise, but you know it's not like every uh, company out there is going and throwing tens and millions of dollars of incremental uh, capital for, to every single software vendor for these AI products. Um, and so the theme that we've seen, and I'll finish on this point, even with ServiceNow, is that we do have more difficult comps in the back half of this year in software land. Um, and at least as far as the guidance goes, everyone's guiding to fat, uh, decent growth rates in Q1, but their full year guides are below that and is implying a slowdown in the back half. So again, we saw this with Snowflake. We, we saw it with ServiceNow. That's why with ServiceNow, we're more cautious on it going into the tough comps in Q3 specifically. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. The, the um, These are absolute, like, forget about Grand Slam. The, these are complete cannonballs. I mean, 
a full disclosure, like I shorted Palo Alto yesterday on the bounce. I mean, I was waiting for it to get back to towards the top end of the range there. So like I have some exposure on that because against my SPMO book or my ETF, the long side of my book, I have stuff like that, right? Like I'm long momentum. So what's happening is that you're getting a huge you know, divergence inside of momentum. And this is exactly what happens to these monkeys on CNBC, right? They don't like people say I'm too critical of them. Like, are you kidding me? The amount of people that own Snowflake, because like Charlie Brown's teacher, like Stephanie Lane, just 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 ranting, garrulously ranting about why you, she's long Snowflake. She has no model on Snowflake. She's not a software analyst. It's like it trades at 180 times EBITDA, Stephanie. Are you, are you kidding me? I mean, it's like this is like people – the reason why I've been so critical to uh, first of all, I was at CNBC and I saw the internals of this creepy crawler that it is. There's no moral compass. They don't care about the people. They don't have like an actual accountability you know, mechanism to the individual at home, the home gamer who's long snowflake today or, or Palo Alto. I mean, the thing was down 30% in a day, right? And these things are getting hammered. And I think that what's going to happen here. Uh, I've been talking to institutional clients about what you just said. More to the point, let's just get to the next play, right? Like, I mean, why I'm critical, it's not like random. People die. People lose money. People really get hurt by these people who have no business recommending these stocks. No business, right? Relative to the, to the, to, to the actual job that, that Andrew Friedman does before he even opens his mouth on a stock, right? That's the standard at a bare minimum, okay? And we bring it to you today. Uh, but the thing that institutional accounts and I, I talk about is, is they look a comparison, like, like Germany, China, to use big factor exposures coming out of a recession, industrials, manufacturing that's been in a recession for you know a year and a half, two years. They have easy comps in the back half of the year, whereas anything AI has the tough comps, right? Like NASDAQ earnings growth right now, Friedman, if you just boil it down that way, is in this current quarter is up over 30%. Russell 2000 earnings growth is down 30%. So that's another way to say the same thing. You know, the cyclical small cap, mid cap economy is not AI. And AI has got a lot of storytelling in it. And just final point, like if you think, like I think I'm a pretty good salesman if I ask myself, you know, I think Friedman's pretty good at it. Like I can sell our process pretty good. But in Wall Street, you can get paid pretty well to be a good salesman. Um, it used to be the best job on wall street um where you get paid the most if you had the best accounts now it's not but um the best salespeople in the world run software companies these guys take storytelling and a lack of accountability in the future to levels never seen in human history right these guys these guys are really cool cats until they decide oh ripcord I'm out of there. Sluman, like, really? I think that that's like one of the worst things I've heard. People put this guy up on a pedestal like Jesus Christ. And I'm a Catholic. I got a lot of respect for that. But man, you know, if Jesus did that to me, left that, you know, heading into that guidance, I, yeah, I, maybe I'd become something else. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I can't add anything to that, Keith. Uh, just leave it at that one. Leave it on that one. <laughs> Well, thank you. It's just it's just like I, I had to say it all. It's all one thing. And it's us against them. And it's you and us against them. And it's our community against them. It's great. It's been the history of the world for many centuries. Yep. You don't have, you don't have to be part of the same tribe. All right. All right. Thank you. Enough about that. I, I guess you, you, you had the commentary for Nick. And we got anything from Felix? Uh, I don't know if Felix is on, and yeah, I, I stole Nick's thunder. Sorry, Nick. Okay, all right, that that's fine. Uh, wait, now we're running out of clock, and Glencher sucked up his clock clock two days ago. Uh, Glencher, what do you got? I'm not trying to stop you from talking. By the way, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, it's, it's the two minute warning, right? So, um, yeah, basically, um, interestingly, you know, we have this uh, pending decision that we're waiting for in the federal court on Google's, um, the challenge of the Justice Department against Google having a search monopoly and that it's default arrangement with uh, Apple to make <laughs> Google the default search on all the Apple devices, whether or not that 
arrangement is anti-competitive. Um, we got a little bit of a hint. The same judge who's hearing that case heard us uh, is involved in a separate antitrust case. And it's um, he made a, a, a ruling there that hints at his view that, you know, competitive search options uh, to Google uh, won't include specialized searches like Amazon or eBay for product searches or Expedia for travel related searches, which is part of Google's defense um, in its big antitrust case involving the Apple default contract. It's not a final definitive on the merits ruling, but there's some analysis in, in, in a decision he made uh, the other day that hints that he's just not going to buy the competition from specialized search options. And that's that's a and it, that's been our view that he's likely going to hold that. But this is sort of an incremental uh, fact that uh, suggests that that will be the direction of the ruling. We'll get and final arguments in May. And a decision, I would think, around late summer. And again, I think more likely than not, um, G DOJ will prevail and put um, that uh, default contract with Apple, which is about estimates are about $18 billion. That's 100% margin revenue. Um, put that in jeopardy. They'll go to a remedy phase after that. We'll see how um, you know Apple responds if it gets to that point. But this is sort of in an incremental point that suggests that um, you know it won't trend well for the uh, the Google Apple arrangement. So um, that's it for me. Yeah, that thing that what a signal that was this week. Google, we're down to Mag Four now because we've got app minus Apple minus mm -hmm. Tesla. Obviously, from the beginning that was new this week, but Google is breaking down hard again yesterday. Post our signal. Um, all right. Thank you, uh, JT. Yeah, we'll be quick. I got to get back to Mr. Steiner here. Uh, so remember, we're talking about 12 probes bills. What what happened over the course of the past 24 hours is that Johnson, Speaker Johnson, is now, along with the Demo uh, Democrats and the Senate, now agreed to six of those 12. We were talking four and then eight. Ooh. Yeah. So now we have an agreement. On six of those 12, we're going to get an extension today, a CR today, until next week, until next Friday, where it's very likely that six of these 12 will pass. Um, he has pretty much uh, uh, taken the side of the bulk of his Republican conference and not the Freedom Caucus on this one. So there could be some fireworks in the meantime, but we're on schedule at this point to pass six of the 12 Next week, there will be an extension, another CR until March 22nd to come to an agreement on the other six. Things could get a little dicey then, but uh, right now, uh, the, the ship has been righted at least temporarily. And that's it, Keith. Righted, yeah. Uh, for it's, it's just the kicking of the can righted is what you that's mean by that. exactly that, right. Or wrong. That writing, writing of the longer-term problem which is tied, you know, to, to whatever this inflation, you know, report is, you know, we, we, we obviously have our thoughts on the longer term inflation higher for longer, but um, I haven't seen it. I've been driving obviously, but uh, Steiner, what do you got? Yeah. A couple of quick takeaways. Um, first off the inflation side was uh, basically spot on with expectations. Uh, so no real sort of fireworks there. Uh, the month over month uh, PCE, accelerated uh, to 0.3. That was right where it was expected. Uh, the core PCE accelerated to 0.4, also right where it was expected. Uh, the December numbers month over month were both downwardly revised uh, from 0.2 to 0.1. That's on, uh, on headline PCE and also from 0.2 to 0.1 on core PCE. Those are all month over month numbers. On the year over year, uh, PCE slowed from 2.6 to 2.4, uh, and core PCE slowed from 2.9 to 2.8. So, you know, definitely a uh, benign uh, inflation uh, framework here. Yields have moved lower by a few basis points uh, in line with expectations. Um, on the spending side, but uh, before you go that on the on the spending, the um, just to be clear, this is classic Wall Street, right? Like. Wall Street, certainly its media has no fucking clue, but the, you know, the expectation had been ratcheted up, right? Like post the most recent inflation reports and all the internals, the street had taken up their PCE estimates. So it went, you know, in line with revised estimates to the upside. So that's just to, to make sure, you know, that you understand 
the concept of it all. That's the shell game that Wall Street always plays. And it's the same thing for companies. I'm saying, oh, they beat expectations after they walked it down on the bat line with all the analysts. And then on the uh, on the spending side, uh, overall uh, PCE, personal consumption expenditures, uh, on a real basis year over year, uh, slowed significantly in January from 3.24% growth in December to 2.07% growth in January. So that coupled with the decel in uh, inflation produced a January monthly quad of, of quad four, uh, as we expected. Just looking at the breakdown between goods and services, uh, goods slowed very significantly. So goods, uh, PCE in December was up 4.7% year over year. In January, it was up 1.5. Uh, so, you know, very large decel in goods spending. Services spending decelerated as well, but only by a little. It slowed from 2.5% in December to 2.3% uh, in January. So uh, that's, uh, that's it. The only other call out is that on the personal income side, uh, the month over month number, which is expected to grow by 0.4%, uh, grew by a full 1%. So that's that's the only other number that's a pretty significant outlier. Yeah, the uh, the net of all that and the durable goods report, uh, when you and Drago update our GDP now model, uh, has to be to the downside. Yeah, well, we'll we will uh, we'll run it. We'll run the update obviously and um yeah we'll we'll see where it all shakes out we'll also get uh you know claims um we've got a few other things in there as well so we'll see where it all settles yeah i mean it it makes sense um that the number our gdp number probably got to its highest point post the you know non-farm payrolls number being a big surprise to the upside and then it's just been dripping a little bit off, you know, that, that intra quarter high, but it makes sense. I mean, these are things that, again, we're not about, you know, we're not, you know, Josh Steiner's not Nostradamus. I'm not Nostramucker. Um, we're not making calls on everything. We're just doing our job, right? We're being counting the economic data. We thought it would slow in January and February against tough comps. It did. Uh, but we're, we also got long, a lot of things, equities, 16 different asset allocation in us equities alone. So uh, we did our job and sometimes we get it right. And most of the time, most of the time we get it right. Sometimes we get it wrong, uh, but you can trust that we're going to do our job. All right. Thanks for doing the call. Don't forget to check out hedgeye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle at hedgeye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal tax accounting or investment advice by hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedge is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedge subscribers and the authorized recipients of the contents. All investments entail a certain degree of risk and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedge Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgehog.com slash terms of service.